whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So here's the question that I want to ask this morning, and really I'm hoping that we can ask over the next several weeks, and it's this question of what, what, do, you, what do you believe about prayer? which is a pretty elementary thing to ask questions about, and yet I think uh, the fact that those questions strike us as so relevant speaks to also the multiple-dimensional, multi-dimensional nature of prayer. Like, what is it? What do you believe about it? Why does it matter? And I think it's important to just acknowledge just from the very beginning of this extended conversation that we don't all think the same way about it, Probably you don't think the same way about prayer that as you did two years ago or four years ago, and ideally you won't think the same way about it two years from now or four years from now moving ahead. Some of you are in this season in your faith journey where prayer is, it's the anchor, it's the part of God that helps you uh, feel most connected to him. It's a part of your daily liturgy. You can't imagine doing life without those practices. Others of you are at this far other extreme where you're not even sure that you believe in the existence of some divine being. And while you might acknowledge that everybody prays on occasion, you're not sure that you can, whether that's a, like a, a God thing or that's just like a human instinct thing in the times that are the worst. Probably most of us, as these kinds of groups happen, are probably somewhere in the middle I would guess that if we were to pass around a microphone, which we won't, uh, there, there's probably real stories of pain and disappointment, seasons of life where you've just leaned heavily in and drawn a circle and read books and believed sincerely that if you just prevailed on God, God would eventually prevail on that. Probably some of you have been deeply hurt by that, and, and ironically or frustratingly, some of you probably have these stories of great victory around that. There's some of you that might think of prayer in, in, in certain ways, uh, but you refuse to think of it in other ways. Like there's just a lot of different places we can land on prayer. And so my intention isn't to necessarily create any kind of uh, dogma around this, but really the question that, that I want to lead with for the next six weeks is like, what does Jesus believe about prayer? Uh, I think one of the things that it behooves us to ask is just, uh, are there things that wouldn't have happened had Jesus not prayed? which is kind of an absurd question, but then it's also, I think, a reasonable one. Like, what did Jesus believe about prayer? And I want to ask that question real specifically from a personal place of, like, I, at this point in my journey, I'm, I'm smitten by Christian tradition and, and the great history, both the high points and the low points of the church. I, I love the local church. I love church community. And yet, uh, I'm aware still that that's not what won me over. 
Like what happened to me was in my late teens, early 20s, I became friends with somebody who as I was exploring God questions just kept pointing me to the Gospels. And I can now appreciate it was a very unique approach but just kept saying, Adam, go read Matthew, go read Mark, go read Luke, go read John. Because what I didn't know is there's millions of people who have received Jesus who profess faith in him but actually have never read one of the Gospels. And conversely, there's millions, maybe even billions over the course of history who have rejected him and they've never actually sat with one of his biographies. But I had this mentor who just kept saying, go learn about him and see life through his lenses. In fact, one of my favorite stories, I tell it too often, is of one of my thinking heroes, Dallas Willard, who's dead now, but he used to teach at the University of Southern California in the philosophy department. And there's this story that he would tell often about in a particular lecture, because this wasn't a Christian school, where a student realized he was a follower of Jesus. And after class, when everyone else had filtered out, the student walked up to his, his desk and said, so why do you follow Jesus? And his response was, well, who else do you have in mind? And I just love that understanding of Jesus. It's not that I think he was just the most remarkable intellect who ever lived. I do think he was like God's icon, all of God in human form in him, that like humanity took up divinity in him. But there's still something liberating and awesome and freeing about just seeing it through his lens. So the question that I want to ask, and and this is what happened to me. Some of you remember we did this series this last fall uh, called Your Mental Game, Back to the Basics. And the very last message, I think it was November 6th, uh, was about prayer. And we just asked this question, like, what role does prayer play in our mental health? And uh, really the question there, this was every once in a while I get kind of an autobiographical weekend where I'm speaking to something that's been very personal for a while. And that week the question that I asked was, to what extent, if any, is prayer a productive activity? And this was the culmination of a lot of work I'd been doing and, and the staff had been doing because there was this conviction of like people like us who do things like us have historically carried this burden of prayer over a community and I just had been convicted that I wasn't so I was wrestling with whether or not I should be living better that way. Well, about six weeks after that, on December 21st, I went back and looked this week at my own, I, I keep a little simple notebook with me in, in my morning chair time and it's, It's mostly study reflection questions, some part prayer journal, some part doodling. And on December 21st, I asked this question, Jesus, what do you you want me to know about prayer? It was an extension of that study I can now see, but really what I was trying to do there was simplify it a little bit. Uh, It's not lost on me that the Bible has a lot to say about prayer and Moses can model some things and Abraham can model some things and Miriam can model some things and Paul and there's all kinds of examples. And I just, to me, I just wanted to zero in on Jesus and go, okay, what did, he, what did he do as it relates to prayer? Like when he prayed, what did that look like? What did that sound like? Did he? And when he spoke about prayer, what did he say? That's really the design, and that's really, frankly, what we're going to do over the next six weeks is keep it that simple. Well, what I learned along the way, and this is thus the six parts, is there were certain things that I wasn't surprised by. And this would probably be your experience in this series. Certain things were like, oh, yeah, that would make sense. I expected the answer to be that. And then there were other areas that was like, whoa, I didn't see that. Like, for example, on Father's Day, one one of the themes, I think the strongest theme for me in this study personally was the frequency with which Jesus references evil in his prayer. Very uncomfortable for me. Uh, Seems like an appropriate thing to talk about when we celebrate parenting and and all of that on on Father's Day. So, 
where do we start? How do we embark on this journey? Well, it seems that it would, uh, one way to start would be just to look at the one time where Jesus was most specific around prayer and teaching prayer. And that's in Matthew 6. And Renee already read that and read it very well. Uh, let me just, let's just revisit this again. Pray then in this way. So if you read before this, what you'll see is Jesus would argue you can pray wrong, you can pray poorly, which is its own conversation that I chose not to make a part of this series. And then he says this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're gonna come back to that section. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil ones. See, there, there, there it is. So here's what happened to me is as I made all these observations and started categorizing all this stuff and I try to study this stuff without the intent of a series but sometimes I can tell pretty early like, whoa, this is gonna become something. It's kind of like when you, when you buy a Subaru and suddenly you realize everybody has a Subaru. Like there's this thing that when you study something, suddenly you, you're that much more sensitive to it. So I started to notice in my conversations with friends and family around prayer and even when I tried to provoke conversations about prayer, the strangest thing started to happen and it was this. People who I often know to be like kings and queens of nuance and diversity, we're starting to use statements like, well, prayer is this. And I noticed in, in people who are prayer warriors or people who don't pray, just in this broad diversity of people, what I noticed was most often when people refer to prayer, there's a narrow bandwidth that they're really passionate about. And then they like eliminate all these other options. And I kept waiting for people to say, prayer is this and but it struck me like I almost never hear the and. Like some people would say prayer is about bending the will of God and they're passionate about that. But they don't, they don't acknowledge prayer is about like speaking to evil or, or, or asking God's protection from evil or prayer is about surrender or prayer is about presence. It was this, prayer is about being alone. Yeah, but prayer is also about praying together. There's this nuance to it and that's when I thought of my friend Bob who earlier had showed me this show, The, the Flatlanders, and then he explained to me one time the difference between 1D, 2D, 3D, and 4D and I, that's where I, I caught myself going like, oh, so it's multidimensional prayer. That's what we're gonna do. And we start in Matthew 6. But here's one of the frustrating things about prayer. If, if, you, if you choose to do that study of just survey when Jesus referenced prayer, when Jesus taught about prayer, when, he's, when we're told he was praying, there's a remarkable lack of detail like we get descriptions like Jesus would often withdraw to lonely places to pray. There's stories where the disciples go looking for him, they couldn't find him, and they're like, oh yeah, he's praying again. There's other stories where at the end of a long, busy day, Jesus would head off to the top of a mountain, Aramis Tapos is the, is the technical t- phrase there, he would go to these known kind of places of prayer and he would spend the night there praying. But, but you're left with the question, what did he pray? How did he pray? And it's just shrouded in, in mystery There is one particular instance where Jesus prays, there's not only one, but one in particular where he prays very specifically. And this one's intriguing to me. It's perhaps one of the most famous. Towards the end of his ministry, it would seem he knew his arrest was imminent. He seemed to know what that would mean, both by ways of excruciating physical pain and the emotional distress of the loss of relationship and all the unknown of it. So he goes away, to the Gethsemane, which is actually an olive press. The, the, the metaphor there, I think, is intentional. And Matthew, among other gospel writers, says, uh, again he went away for the second time and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass until I drink it, your will be done. 
Now, one of the questions that I have, and I, I don't know that we can answer it decisively, but it, to me it's an important question is, so was that the prayer, or was that the summary of like an extended time of prayer? Because really he's praying two things, and it sounds a lot like a lot of my prayers and a lot of my history, and it, maybe I'm projecting, again we can speculate, but I think at least the exercise of the, project, the projection is, is worth it. What if what's going on there is Jesus arrives at this place where he's terrified, where he's angry, where he can't see, it's, it's cloudy, so to speak, and his prayer is like, no way, Lord, no, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't, I won't, I won't, I won't, it's gonna hurt, it's gonna hurt, it's scary, it's scary, and what if that was like part A, and it's actually the process of praying that gets him to part B, not my will but your be done, and what if that's actually part of the answer to the question, why did Jesus pray? Because again, why does the living God have to pray? But what if part of it is because Jesus, fully God, fully divine, fully human, had to work through some of the same stuff you do? This sense of like, okay God, I can't do this. And like a good parent, like a good coach, like a good leader, it takes God the Father and the Spirit to work him through this process by which he surrenders to, okay, Lord, whatever you want. And part of what intrigues me about that is there is this theme in his spoken word, not necessarily about prayer. John seems most passionate about picking this up. But in John 4, I want to look at three verses in John where there's this thread. John 4:34 says, Jesus said to them, my food is due the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Those are strong words, my food. In 5.30 he says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment's just because I seek to do not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And in 6.38, again we pick up on this theme, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What if for Jesus, a major function, one of the major functions, one of the dimensions of prayer is prayer is the means by which we seek God's will and we commit ourselves to it. And that seems consistent with the way he not only acted, like in the garden, but also the way he taught prayer because again, how does, when he says, here's how you should pray, what, what's the first breath? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. What is a Christian if not somebody who's committed to allowing God's life to indwell them and happen through them? Like what is a Christian if not somebody whose chief aim is, is to do God's will? And what if for Jesus, well here, here's a way to ask it. What wouldn't have happened had Jesus not prayed? Because I, I think uh, on this question, like, it, it exposes that all of us tend to be a little bit determinist in our thinking, and I think in cases like prayer, it's actually because it's convenient to believe that things happen whether or not I pray. But especially in the Gospel of Luke, Luke goes out of his way to tell a story about God praying about, or Jesus praying about major events. In Luke, Jesus was praying before his baptism, he was praying before he chose the 12, he was praying before he taught the Lord's Prayer, he was praying before the Transfiguration. Are we to assume that that was not just a religious exercise, 
but actually something that guided and directed what happened next. Which gets to these crazy question of, like, can we sit with the idea that the cross might not have happened had Jesus not been a person of prayer? Had he not had this practice by which he refines life and its circumstances and its fears and surrendered that? Because in that sense, Jesus is a lot like every Christian, isn't he? Like, we as Christians, we like to think of ourselves, I like to think of myself as, Lord, I was baptized, you know my intent, you know I'm committed to you. But what if Jesus, like, for Jesus to be Jesus, he needed more than one such statement, more than one commitment? We've got caught up in all this conversation in recent history around salvation, is it once saved, always saved? What if it's a giant adventure in missing the point? Because what if what Jesus models for us is a commitment to do the will of God? It's not a one-time decision. It's like a daily decision. I've been thinking about this around like food, water, and sleep. Think about, think about the implications of an extraordinary meal. I mean, think, think about like Thanksgiving or Kent's in the room, a great double hamburger from Old Salt. Holy schmoles, you're like, and I have to run 400 miles tomorrow, but it's so good. And does that mean that for the next three days you don't need to eat? I mean, are you like the boa constrictor that can just do that about every 30 days? There's something weird about the human experience, isn't there? In that no matter how satiating, no matter how healthy, no matter how nutritious, no matter how caloric a meal is, the reality is we know that in about four hours, you're going to want another one. And in about 24 hours, if you haven't had another one, you're going to be miserable. Hydration's the same way, isn't it? Uh, do you ever find yourself filling a glass of water and then two hours later, it's still sitting on the desk as if the intentions like, will allow osmosis to take over and they'll hydrate you? Like, the reality is you could be perfectly hydrated right now and less than 24 hours from now be dehydrated. Same with sleep. We say things like catching up on sleep, but we know that there's no such thing. It's, it's, as I understand it, scientifically not real. And frankly, you can't log it. Like you, you, can't, you can't bank it. You can't go like, well, I know the next few days are going to be long, so I'm going to sleep for, for 20 hours. Or I know that she's due next month, so I'll tell you what, we're just going to take July off and sleep for the whole month, and that way we'll survive the first year. You can't do that. What if that's part of the human experience? And what if prayer works in similar ways? That the God of the universe models a way of being human that says, listen, that, that commitment that you've made is such a grand commitment to know, to discern, and do the will of God. And you can accomplish it like one little segment of time at a time. And if the God of the universe, while fully human, needed liturgies of prayer, how much more might you and I, which to me would be good news because it would mean that sense of shame that we seem to collectively have about just not being very good at this Jesus thing, maybe we're about as good as we're supposed to be at it. It's just a matter of whether or not we're using the tools. Like just because you buy the home gym doesn't mean you're in shape. You actually have to use it. What, what, what if prayer has similar invitations to it? Uh, there's a guy named Bishop Todd Hunter. He's an Anglican bishop, and I was listening to him recently, and he, 
he makes this comment, and I think this is, this is him kind of making some Ignatian practices his own, but he said his prayer practices are this. Next slide. In the morning, he said, I pray prayers of dedication. Just a commitment to knowing and doing God's will. In the, throughout the day, he said, my, my prayers are prayers of presence. Like, God, help me see you, help me be, remember you, help me acknowledge you. And at the end of the day, and this is very Ignatian, he, 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 it's prayers of examine. God, where did I see you? Where did I miss you? Where, where did I stray from you? But what if, and I know this sounds hyper-religious, in the spiritual life, it's kind of a non-negotiable. It is kind of like sleep and water and food. So here would be a question, I think, is just wh- where's, where's the pain for you, maybe? Where's the suffering? And I want to be careful here because we all know it's possible to pray for something for years and not have a clear sense of God's will in that. And that's brutal. It can happen. It's also possible to pray very sincerely over something and have the response after time be like God going, I don't care. I think sometimes we can overthink this one. Sometimes God's just like, you go ahead and choose. But it's also possible to pray about something. I think I had a similar experience of this this week. And sometimes it is a several month And then all of a sudden, it's like nothing changes other than you suddenly have this peace about what it is that God would have you do. So where's the pain? Where's the suffering? Where's the opportunity? Where's the joy? And maybe you're someone here that's like, I I don't know if I believe any of this. Here would be my challenge to you of, like, what would you have to lose to pretend as 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 if it was true? Like, we do that all the time in other areas, We oftentimes buy things or try things not because we're convinced they're real but because we're open to their being real. What would happen if you were just to pick something that's particularly stressful for you right now and develop some liturgy, some practice, some routine of prayer around it and just kind of dare God to prove himself real? I like to pray and we are gonna give you a chance to jump into communion. God, Lord, prayer strikes me as one of those things that's It's incredibly ancient that uh, it's easy just to sleep through the latest conversation around it. And yet, Lord, I just know that everyone in this room is human and has the highs and the lows of what it means to be human and frankly wouldn't be here if they weren't at least open to the idea of you wanting to lead them. So God, my prayer would be that in this busyness of summer, the irony would be that we... uh, somehow hear you pulling us into some form of routine around prayer, whether that's a 30-second one or a 30-minute one, whether that's once a day or several times a day. Jesus, that you uh, would send your spirit to guide and direct us into how uh, to live into some of the way you lived. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Narrate Church, find us online at narratechurch.org or look us up on Facebook or Instagram.